We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And you can also check out their website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there and even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see hey, you. Hey, hi, Scott. Good to see you. Yeah. Scott. Retirement views from Venus and Mars. This sounds like it could get ugly. Is I this know. A, is this <laughs> like a great title of a book. Is it, yeah. Is this a boy-girl thing? Yeah, I like That's this one. You know, who knew that men and women have different opinions on things? No way. And, no, uh, uh, me. When no. it comes to retirement, it's it's true. I, though I would say the gap is not quite as much in terms of the real, the real issues, but uh, certainly from priorities, you can see the difference. So investors group, last year conducted an online survey and just a bit of quick background on the survey. So we, this was with 1,004 recent or soon to be retirees. Mm -hmm. So you had to be at least 50 plus and it was conducted by the Leger group between February 18th and the 23rd, 2016 using its online panel, Leger web. The sample was split evenly between those who intend to retire in the next five years and those who retired within the last five years. So that was, I thought, very interesting. So the group of half the people retiring in the next five years, the other half of the people already retired for at least five years, okay, within the past five Mm -hmm. years. And so they wanted to get an understanding of how the views in terms of retirement, pre-retirement, post-retirement between men and women, what what kind of differences can we understand and what are the takeaways from that? And the top headline, we basically came out, they said, recently, reti- recently retired women worry more than men about making their funds last and have different financial priorities. Because mm, they now, live longer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, first thing, right out of the gate, right? <laughs> there's really kind of two issues. And, and we know that, that uh, as I say, m- women are worrying more than men about outliving their money. And really the two reasons there you hit number one is that women statistically live longer. So that's the first issue. But the other one, which was a factor, is that they make less money. Hmm. So, and we hope, you know, the gender gap obviously has closed over over the last year, many years. It still exists. But so you really have a double barrel there. We're living long, they have to live longer with less money. Yeah. And so you can understand then from, from their perspective why that tends to be a, more of a worry. And- so that financial worry kind of led to, well, what are the priorities once you're retired? And women are also 60% more interested in leaving, they're, sorry, they're 60% interested in leaving an inheritance versus men, only 46% of them were interested in leaving an inheritance. Hmm. Mothers will be mothers all the way to the end. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And, you know, and I see that too in, in my practice as I'm dealing with elderly clients and particularly if, if I'm dealing with a widowed, uh, a woman who on her own now, and she's considering that transition, say from her home into a retirement residence mm-hmm. or an assisted living. And the cost is often a bit of a shock in, in the sense that many people feel they can live cheaper at home and yeah. if they stay at home, it's much more, they're in control. Whereas if I go into retirement residence and now I'm paying, you know, 4000 5000 $6,000 a month, I'm just eating into my kid's inheritance. Yeah. And so that really weighs on women in terms of making that decision for, for more so than it would for men, yeah. for sure. Not my mom. No, she's, she's <laughs> part of pretty the cut and dry. <laughs> <laughs> no problem with that at all. Yeah. 
so that's the other factor in terms of worrying about outliving your money is because they're concerned about not wanting to spend it all yeah. in order to leave an inheritance and, and much more so than men. Um, another interesting question was asked, well, what if you received a windfall? So if you had extra money, if you, if you were already retired and you received an inheritance, for example, or you received a, a lottery winning mm-hmm. or, or some additional funds, um, 67% of women would leave more to charity versus only 47% of men. So a 20% gap in terms of This the, doesn't say the much about men, does it really at all? No, but, just but creeps. There, there is no right or wrong. Yeah. It's just, and that's exactly Spoken what the whole- from a man. That's what the whole- <laughs> <laughs> But that was the whole premise of the book. You might be biased, Andy. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I have to take off my, my rose-colored glasses. That's right. <laughs> um, but, the, but that whole, the premise of the whole book, uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And yeah. the whole purpose of that was to say, you know, there is no right or wrong. We just have to understand what the differences are. Mm-hmm. And that's, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, one isn't better than the other. Um, but, um, uh, so, you know, that, that led us to the, also the other thought about, well, how much uh, in terms of overspending versus underliving. And when asking the individuals that were not retired already, 81% of, of men said that they are going to spend more money. Sorry, 80, 89% of men said they're going to spend more money in retirement. They're going to, they're going to spend it on trips. They're going to spend it on hobbies. Whereas only 81% of women said Mm. the same thing. So pretty close though. though. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that's pretty, so there's a pretty consistent figure there in terms of in the lead up to retirement, both men and women are anticipating wanting to spend their income, spend their capital, enjoy their retirement, go on trips, spend it on hobbies, et cetera. And so the interesting thing, though, was that once they were already retired, only 66% of recent retirees felt that they could strike a good balance between mm. spending their money and not overspending and running out of money. So different when you're actually retired. Yeah. So yeah. now when the rubber hits the road, yeah. you're retired and you turn on that switch where you start pulling money out of your investments, it changes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's, that leads to this concept of underliving. And, and again, it's that part of it is the fear of running out of money makes you sort of ultra conservative and you might pass on activities that would normally help you feel or fully enjoy your golden years and your retirement years. Mm-hmm. And this would, was a conversation we were having about a client who was, uh, considering a cottage renovation and, you know, just, this was a fairly significant expense that mm-hmm. they were contemplating. Well, I shouldn't say that it started off as a minor expense. It was really about an 18,000 to $20,000 expense to update the kitchen at the cottage. Mm -hmm. And this woman is now, um, uh, widowed. She's on her own, has one son, adult son and grandchildren, and the son loves the cottage. So he's going to be involved in it after her death. So then she began to think about this, said, well, wait a minute, if I was to die and my son received a million dollars, let's say of inheritance, Mm -hmm. then probably the first thing he would do is renovate the cottage. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't just do an $18,000 no, kitchen no. renovation. He'd probably do a complete, maybe rebuild. a tear down and a rebuild mm-hmm. or certainly a significant addition. And so we started into this discussion about, well, why not do it now? You know, she's 67. Yeah. If I do it now, I get to enjoy it for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so does he and his family. And uh, maybe I got an extra, maybe I got 20 years out of it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, at my death, I'm still going to be transferring the cottage to him in terms of using it, but we've all enjoyed the the benefits of 
right from day one. And mm-hmm. may also get a break on the capital gains that she initially paid for the when she bought the cottage compared to what she's going to pay to yeah. uh, rebuild it or yeah. fix it. Well, and we and it's funny, now we talked about that because in order to do her build, let's say it was going to be a significant one in the $300,000 range, she's now going to have to cash in mm-hmm. a significant portion of her investments, but that's okay. We know that it's not going to be needed for her foreseeable yeah. lifestyle. Um but there were going to be capital gains issues in terms of cashing that in. So this is something we're going to have to weigh out and do we stage it over a couple of years, et cetera. Yeah. But it really opened up that that conversation for her. And in and one of the things about underliving is you're never quite sure how much to spend on things you want to do now yeah. versus having to keep it for later. Yeah. And so, and Statistics Canada did a study from 2014, and it was called the Canadian Financial Capability Survey. And what they concluded is that all respondents who rely on financial advice from a financial advisor have an increased level of financial knowledge and comfort. And really what they're getting to the point of is that if you, if you have a game plan and you have an um, understanding and you seek a professional in terms of figuring these things out, it actually frees you up to be able to make a decision more clearly yeah. and be more confident about the decision going forward. And um, so, you know, when you think about taking money out of your investments, uh, part of the problem is if you don't have the money just sort of sitting in cash, to spend it. Yeah. Now you're questioning. So if I'm, if I need an extra X amount of dollars, I'm going to do, um, you know, a, a bathroom renovation at home and I need 20 grand or 10, 15 grand. Where does that money come from? Mm-hmm. Well, now you're having to call up your advisor and say, sell that investment or, um, yeah. and what are the tax implications of that? And so suddenly as you're discussing that, well, do we really need the bathroom renovation? Maybe we shouldn't. And, and we might need that money later. Yeah. And so all of these things creep into it. With the help of a financial advisor, they should be able to tell you, your financial planner should be able to tell you whether you can afford to take that money out mm-hmm. and where the best place is to take it out. But uh, in some cases, that still is a hurdle for people in terms of using up their capital. Yeah. And so one of the strategies we talk about then is beginning to do, uh, beginning an automated payout from your investments a regular payout from your investments and that money being deposited into your bank account on a regular basis, it's going to allow your bank account to build up. And if the money's sitting there in your checking account and it's available for you to be able to make a decision on how to spend it, it's a lot easier than having to go to your advisor to say, Mm -hmm. I need to cash in investments. So our, so part of that strategy could be, let's get it into your hands and then you can allocate it to the projects you want to prioritize. And then you don't have to worry about calling me or having to cash in investments at the wrong time or, you know, the taxation implications, mm-hmm. that's all been worked out. And there's, but there's really four ways that people can begin to take money out of their investments. And uh, the first one is sort of a standard approach where you say, I'll take a 4% payout. And what actuarialists tell us is that if you take 4% of your investments every year, that statistically you've got at least a 30-year horizon. And that works out for a lot of people. If you retired at 65 or 60, and now you've got 30 years of income from your investments, that gets you into your 90s. Mm -hmm. And typically, 
today, most couples, if one of you is, if you've made it to 65, one of you is going to live till 90. Yeah. So that 30-year payout, that 4% structure, although it sounds simplistic, it does work. It's very straightforward. Uh, and basically what you're doing is you're redeeming investments every month. You're selling units of your mutual fund or mm-hmm. taking stock, uh, uh, selling stock as well. So that's number one. Number two is income payouts. So many of your investments you hold might, pr- might pay interest, they might pay dividends, they might pay capital gains. And for most of us, when we were in the accumulation phase, all of that income was being reinvested. Mm-hmm. So we wanted, to comp- we wanted the compounding effect on your investment, so you kept reinvesting it all. And once you hit retirement, though, we can flip the switch. And instead of having all of that automatically reinvested, just have it paid out to your bank account. Right. Now, remember, whether you reinvested or you paid out to your bank account, you're still paying tax on it either mm-hmm. way. So now if it's in your bank account, it's going to hopefully build up a little bit. And again, you're now going to have a pool of money that you can tap into to think about projects or trips that you've, that mm-hmm. you hadn't, that you were planning, et cetera. And, but again, what the purpose of that is, is getting money into your hands and doing it a tax efficient way. There's two more items I'm going to tell you about when we come back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will get back to you. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out their website, andyanddon.com. You can even ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Check out old shows as well, or you can call 905-529-7165, and they will get back to you. Talking about uh, retirement views from Venus and Mars, different perspectives. Yes, men and women in our Proving our that you views. will be, proving you'll even be fighting in retirement. <laughs> <laughs> the pre-retirement uh, group and the post-retirement group, five years before and five years after, we did a lot of analysis of this last year, and we're just sort of sharing some of the views. And one of the things that, um, that we were talking about, which is overspending versus underliving, overspending, I mean, that has its own stress and certainly can cause a lot of problems in terms of increased debt, etc. Mm-hmm. But underliving is something that a phenomena that I don't know if you see it a lot, but uh, oh, yeah. time and time again, trying to encourage people or suggest to people, uh, retirees, that it's okay to spend more. Mm-hmm. Like you have money available, you need to spend it, figure out how to spend it. And our habits don't change, which is part of the reality of this. But um, and, and it's these influences about wanting to leave inheritances, unsure about how long I'm going to live, and the uncertainties that keep, that hold us back in terms of that underliving. Oddly enough, the same things that got them into a financial planner probably in the first place. Yeah, that's when right. When you think about that's it. That's right. And now it's going from one extreme to the other. And so, you know, we're in, in our efforts to try and sort of convince them it's okay to spend, one of the strategies we're talking about <clears throat> is getting the money into their hands. So paying it out of your investments in terms of a regular payout, monthly, et cetera. And we talked about the first way, which we call a systematic withdrawal plan, the 4% solution. You just take it out every month. The income payout, where we flip the switch in terms of reinvesting your interest, dividends, and capital gains send that out to you every every uh, month or every quarter. And the third and fourth option, the third one uh, would be just a lump sum. So again, that's saying, you know what, we're going to take out 
you know, $2,500 a quarter, or we're going to take out a lump sum of 10,000, put it in our bank account. We'll see how that goes if we use it up. And the final one, which is return of capital is probably the most tax efficient way. And this works very well for individuals. Let's say if you're, if you're transitioning from a home to a retirement residence, or you've got capital and you want additional income, return of capital is really saying, I'm going to take from my original principal first, and then once that's used up, I'll take from the growth. Mm -hmm. And by doing the original principal first, your income is actually tax-free. Right. So, so those are the four strategies around that. Um, it's a tricky thing, but in with if you have a plan and you can risk test or stress test your plan, we call that our Monte Carlo analysis. It gives us a really good understanding of based on each of those strategies, those four strategies, we know the percentage or odds that your money is going to last. And that I think is where the peace of mind comes from. Mm -hmm. Well, following that, there's always measurements on something, whether it's measuring <laughs> your money um, and also measuring your health. And there's been this one thing, and a lot of people may have heard of something called a BMI, body mass index. Mm -hmm. And on behind the scenes here, we are all measuring each other's BMI. and. <laughs> Well, it didn't turn out so well, unfortunately. I want Andy <laughs> to measure my BMI, not you, if you don't mind. <laughs> and basically, you just got that look in your eye today. I don't know. It's uh, what? No how, mercy. How no. No. Are your hands warm? Uh, that wasn't that kind of physical. Oh, this okay. is a numbers physical. Uh, all right, all right. Something that we and I as a, a standoff approach. It is your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. Mm-hmm. And that will get you your BMI. And this, if you go on the internet, you'll find lots of um, little apps or whatever. You just Google BMI and they'll have a calculated rate there. So anyway, it's, it's interesting because I was at my chiropractor this week and I asked about this. And there's a little write-up about it. And he says, basically, it's useless information. Mm -hmm. This was made for a sedentary lifestyle. Somebody sits on the couch, mm -hmm. does not have a lot of athletics, like muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And it, I guess that's what you would look at. Interesting enough, it's actually the same for men and women too, mm -hmm. which I find a little odd. And uh, so I, I looked at mine because uh, according to this, and even if I, right now I weigh 165, call it I'm five, seven and a half. So according to this, I'm over, I'm obese. I'm on the next level. And I, you know, which all is, that work for nothing, though. All that God. work. I, I, I cycle. I do this. You <laughs> exactly. know, exactly. And, uh, wow. and it's funny because I went to a class uh, a few years back and I said, oh, look at this. I guess it turns out I'm obese. Oh, do you do any, do you do weights or anything? Mm -hmm. I'll ride a bike a fair bit. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't count for you then. So anybody that's. It's only for fit, people that don't move. Right. <laughs> and so, but a lot of people look at this. And, the, and it makes them feel, okay, I'm, I'm not in good shape where I am. Mm -hmm. uh, the best case in point, as I was reading into this a bit more, is Tom Brady is w well obese. Wow. <laughs> okay. He's, he's, he's like 27. He's made it work for him. 27.4 is his index. Yeah. And by the way, the healthy index. Wait, who's the deflating guy? That would be him. That's him, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He's overinflated in his weight. <laughs> exactly. I knew there was some connection. <laughs> Compensating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, must be. It's the weight of him and the ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. He may have carried it. But it's, I guess the healthy index is between 18 and a half and 24.9. And he's 27.4. Mm. And here's a, a good athlete. Okay. And they yeah. actually had other athletes too, tennis stars. And a lot of them were, according to this, obese, which is very unusual. So what happened? I looked, I dug into this just a little deeper. And I'll show you why I'm doing this in a second. But. 
I found this interesting. It was actually developed in the early 1800s by a mathematician. Oh, wow. Not a fitness person. And no. said, even then, he said explicitly not to be used as a level of measurement of fat hmm. in your body at the time, 200 years ago. Wow. So, but they still are. Um, it does not, it ignores your waist size. So, which turns out to be the best indicator of sure. obesity. Of course. Not yeah. your BMI. Um, there's no allowance for bone mass because some people are bigger boned. Yeah. That's what a lot of people yeah. claim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> big boned. That's that explains my situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> muscle versus fat. Turns out muscle is twice as dense as fat. Yeah. Okay. And that's the biggest one. It's only made, as we talked about, for sedentary lifestyles. It's really math, mathematical snake oil is mm -hmm. what one doctor said. Mm -hmm. It really is not a good measurement. In fact, some insurance companies have been kind of looked upon and using this BMI as charging more. Wow. Yeah. Why would they use it then? If it's not that accurate. Increase the profits. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could be fit, but your BMI is a little high. Mm -hmm. In fact, one person was applying for uh, uh, some military and they were using it at the time and couldn't yeah. get in because it's BMI. Meanwhile, this guy was like super fit. Yeah. Um, it really comes down to it's an easy way to get a number. Yeah. And people love that. We love that. You know, as in our business, it'd be great if it was so simple. You can do your own financial plan. Um, and you, we've probably heard some of these before. Well, you can live off 70% of your what you're making when you're re while you're working. Well, I'm sure you could. Okay. Doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Um, so that's a, an easy. So people will often say, well, I make, say, 100000 now. So if I make 70000 when I retire... I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Well, that depends. And as financial planners, this is kind of what gets our little hairs on our neck going up a little bit is people every day is a weekend when you retire. Yeah. People have more time. Yeah, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> really? So if anything, they've been waiting for this so yeah. they can maybe spend some time in those commercials that they see on TV, sure. golfing, boating, traveling, yeah. what have you. Eating out. Eating out, you know, entertainment, mm -hmm. buying nicer clothes, whatever it is. And- these things all cost money. So it is true, you could live off 70% of your income. Having said that, you may have been able to live off 70% of your income before you retired. Yeah, good point. You just choose not to, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so that's one thing I always question, that's a very straightforward number. Another one is uh, asset allocation. It's funny, we don't hear about it as much now, but about, let's say four or five years ago, your allocation was based on 100 less your age is how much equities you should have in your right, portfolio. Right, right. Remember that, Andy? Yep, yeah, yep. Very common. So if you're a 65-year-old. Still today, we hear about it all the time. Yeah. 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 It's a little less common because interest rates are so low, but people just thought this was this is the way to do it. Wow. This was this was a proven method. No difference than BMI is kind of, mm. sort of for some people, the proven method. So if you're 100 years old and you're – sorry, if you're 100. If you're <laughs> 65 years old and you take 100 less 65 is 35 years. So you would have 65% of your portfolio in fixed income, 35% of your portfolio in equities. Well, I would suggest that's a really poor way to manage your money. That's an odd formula. Yeah. And again, very similar to this. Mm -hmm. it's, it's mathematical snake oil mm -hmm. is really what it is. Because if you did that, you would have two-thirds of your money sitting in things that earn 2% or less and one-third of your money in equities. Well, it doesn't take into account inflation risk doesn't take into account, do you have a pension plan? Well, if you have a defined benefit plan from say you're a teacher, a police officer, nurse, what have you, well, you could probably be more risky because you've got all this money coming in tax-free. Yeah. It doesn't take into account 
Are you getting your old age security, the full OAS, because you've been a resident of Canada for over 40 years? Mm -hmm. Or are you getting all your Canada pension plan? It's so many things it doesn't take into account. I'm thinking about taxation too, like you're at your after tax rate of return and the impact of what that means. That's way more important. Yeah. That's way more important. And that would be similar to the most important thing is your waistline. Right. Not the BMI. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What's your after tax amount of money getting per month? Not what your gross income is. What's your waistline? And again, these are the kind of measurements that clearly show us that you're not, you know, it, it's a do-it-yourself financial plan. Yeah. Um, one that's very common right now is MERs, management expense ratios. And everything's talking about, okay, your fees are higher or lower. Um, and that doesn't take into a, a lot of things. Particularly, it doesn't take into account in, um, investor behavior. So a perfect example, one of the least expensive options right now are what they call ETFs, exchange-traded funds. And they mimic the index. So if they say the US S&P 500, US stock index, say averaged 9% for the last 10 years, they would they would get 9% less whatever their fee is. So they'd say get 8.5% if it was a half percent fee for the exchange ex- ETF, exchange traded fund. Well, first of all, one thing is I can tell you one thing, it will never outperform the index, okay? Because mm. you have the fee underneath it. But second of all, they have the highest turnover rate ETFs. People are buying and selling ETFs faster than they are, um, say, a mutual fund because they're very cheap to sell and cheap to buy. And it turns out that because of this high turnover, the investor's actual return is far less than the actual performance of the fund. And this is the same with mutual funds, but even more so in ETFs. So one what we look at is, okay, what's the ETF get you? That's great, but what's the investor get? What are they actually getting? What's real life scenario? What is their performance? And they're actually performing worse than most mutual funds because the investor's behavior isn't as good. Um, fund performance in general. We'll, we'll often look at uh, certain funds and it says, well, this one has a 1.5% um, ex- expense ratio and this one has a 2%. And what a lot of financial planners, particularly some at the banks, they'll extrapolate that and say, okay, well, you're getting charged a half percent more. So if we extrapolate this half percent more over the next 20 years, you're going to end up with a lot less money and call it $30,000 or what have you. Mm-hmm. What it doesn't tell you, what is the actual performance of the fund? And I know one particular fund, they had a, at least a half percent difference and their performance was significantly less than the average mutual fund but they don't look at performance. They only look at the fee. And it's hard to manage certain funds because of the high turnover within the fund too. So if you're managing a fund and a lot of clients are in and out, in and out, in and out, well, your performance too is, is, is gonna be harder. It's gonna be tough to manage that fund and your mm-hmm. performance will lack. Um, EMERs don't manage the tax planning things as Andy was just mentioning, going through different ways to get income. Well, there's a certain value in managing the tax situation. In fact, this is something that it's a definite. We can actually add value guaranteed because we know the rules and taxes, but we can't measure what the market's going to do in the next week, year, or a couple years. Right. Okay. 10 years is a pretty good predictor. We have a pretty good idea what things mm-hmm. will do in the longer term, but tax planning and income splitting. Um, recently, again, we just I just finished looking at a, at a, f- a fairly large estate and because of what we were able to do in the last four or five years, 
they'll pay about $100,000 less in estate taxes mm-hmm. because of, even though we had to increase their income higher over the last few years, we were able to save them a lot at the end. So it meant that uh, paying a little bit now saved a whole lot down the road. Mm-hmm. So estate planning is big and income splitting. How do we split the incomes between spouses? Um, certainly pension splitting is one of them and that's very common now. But what about uh, having dividends go or uh, or even, even um, creating an income for them? Um, one way of doing that is spending the higher incomes money and saving the lower incomes money mm-hmm. so that that lower income ends up with a lot more money in their, their pot, okay? And one thing that's really important over more and above than all this, and I'm finding this longer and longer, I'm sure Andy might be able to <coughs> add something here, simply the peace of mind. You know, when you see clients and they sit down and they're going through the scenario, they're looking at their situation because you've dealt with them for 10 years or greater or 20 years, and it's they don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You know, we, we sit down with our clients now and it's like, you know, thank you so much. I wouldn't have been able to get there without you. Uh, we, we've gone through some tough times with the markets and, and say the kids activities or older parents, what have you, and you've guided us along and you've had that third party. And more than likely, because most people are fairly emotional, mm-hmm. they will often make emotional decision regarding money. And it's nice to have that third party that will to have no, you know, just to jump in. And you know, when I, I think somebody gave me a great example as we were talking about how, you know, advisory fees and MERs and all the costs of, of being involved or working with a financial planner. And they sort of said, hey, you know, I guess it's kind of like having you on retainer, right? And I said, yeah. exactly. Hmm. It said that you don't have to, you don't have to worry if you call me and we chat for, uh, I had a conversation last week about somebody, whether they should buy or lease a car. And this mm-hmm. was a, a 75 year old, they've never leased before, but the salesperson at the at the uh, auto dealer was suggesting they should lease, they should lease, they should lease. We worked it through, we went through all the numbers and it turns out, you know what, it was better for them to buy. Yeah. And, but uh, there was no cost for him to make yeah. that call to yeah. me. He didn't have to worry about, I'm gonna get a legal bill or yeah. a bill for yeah. you know two and a half hours mm-hmm. or 45 minutes of my time uh, because when you're working with a financial planner, you basically have them on retainer. So I encourage people to take advantage of that yeah. when you have questions and concerns because a lot of times you don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, meanwhile, you could be getting a second opinion about something or some qualified advice based on your personal situation. Yeah, it's not necessarily uh, your retirement or what you're holding, but even any big decisions that you have to make regarding finance. Totally, exactly you should, right. You should talk to your, your financial planner. And that's what we're here for. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. You can also check out their website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old radio shows there. Or, of course, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about uh, real estate, new builds versus resales. Yeah, and just as you're mentioning the website, one of the things that uh, if listeners, if you, if we're some, a lot of the topics we're talking about, we've got a, a information available on the website, and mm-hmm. you can go through the link. And in this case, this, this particular topic we're talking about, we've got uh, some information there called 
your next home, buying versus building. Uh, so anything that we're talking about on this section, you can sort of go back and look at that. If you want to print off the article or read it yourself, you're, you're more than happy to. And um, so it, it, it's, I, I can't help, but every place, whether we go out for dinner, we go for a restaurant or friends, friends come over or a social, just meeting somebody on the street for a walk, everybody's talking about real estate. Like yeah, it's just, yeah. it's the phenomena of the GTA right now. Mm-hmm. What the heck is going on? How does this end? What do you do? And so, and just recently in our neighborhood, there was um, a retired couple that uh, moved, that they had an illness, they've moved to a retirement home place goes up for sale. And so the, the, the families knew of that the neighbors, they, they basically asked, is anybody interested? Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. everybody's kind of now all the neighbors are abuzz, you know, having a discussion yeah. about what do they think it's worth? How much would you offer them? It's a cash deal. What do you keep? Do you, is it a teardown or do you rebuild it? And, and all of these discussions are happening. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, nobody decided to, mm-hmm. any offers that did go in were rejected and the for sale sign went up and it was sold 12 hours later. Wow. And that was, it wasn't sold for over asking, but, but pretty close to asking. And, uh, and it Let turns me ask out, a question there. Yeah. So why sell it and boast that it sold in 12 hours if you're selling it for under the asking price? Yeah. Why not let it sit there for a week or two and try to get the asking price? Good question. Because it yeah. seems in this world of real estate, uh, as well as it being, you know, obviously the seller's market, it also seems that real estate agents are just trying to put these things through like a sausage uh, machine. I know. That it's like, it's on, it's on by Thursday, it's sold by Saturday yeah, or Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it seems like they're trying to whip them through as opposed to keep them on the market. Is there a disadvantage to doing that? Well, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's. It depends. I know you're not a real estate. No, but agent, no, but, you know, you're, it's a good question, and I think it depends on. In this case, the owners, the vendors. You know, now the the the, the elderly parents yeah. are out of the picture, yeah. and now there's three siblings involved, mm-hmm. and every sibling has different motivation. Yeah. Some siblings want the cash ASAP. Yeah. Yeah, let's get them. Point. Let's get them invested. Let's help them yeah. out. Others would be, you know, what? Well, let's let's wait and see what happens. And so, sure. I think it's that in this scenario, it yeah. was a function of, you know, what? Let's get it done. Let's get it over with. Sure. We've got a lot of work to do to clear it out and get everything settled. So, um, but but you're right. But generally, they are coming up for sale, and they're just immediately. Old. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that pans out if people yeah. are, particularly if they're getting less than what they asked, yeah. right? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, well, so we created a little checklist. If you're a candidate for a new build, and a lot of times, so people are figuring out how do I capture this? Do I downsize myself? Do I get out of my current home and into something, you know, further out into the suburbs? And we talk about things like walkability factors, which is, uh, which tends to be more common in sort of the older or mature neighborhoods versus a new build or a new subdivision. But, uh, but there's different tastes and everybody has different motivations. So on the new build side, if you were considering a new build, it would be, maybe it's the right decision for you. And here's our checklist. So let's say you have specific, unique tastes that you want to get, and you want to get involved in the choices and the design choices of the home. Like you have to have a high enough ceiling in your garage so you could have an indoor basketball court or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to have their their own motivation and their own input into that. Number two, you want to avoid repairs and renovations for some time. Now I get this. I've seen clients who want to downsize from a, maybe an older home. The idea of a new build means, you know what? We're going to be here for the next 15 or 20 years. Most likely not anything major is going to go wrong. We have to worry about Turnkey. Yep. 
Number three, have reliable transportation. New developments are sometimes uh, in, in suburbs away from city centers, right? So it's you're basically going to be able to park wherever you want. You can drive wherever you want. There's lots of opportunities to do that. Uh, number four, you're willing to pay extras for custom features. So the advertised price on the new builds are often sort of the base price. Yeah. So you've got to be prepared to commit to upgrade things that you want to have, the extra little bedazzles that make sense. Uh, the next one, you don't mind living in a construction zone for a while. Yeah. How often is it that uh, either your place isn't quite finished yet, but your neighbor's places aren't finished? Yeah. So you've got, an, you've got a, a foundation beside you yeah. and you're moving in. And that can take a few years. That's right. Mm-hmm. So as it, as it infills all the, all the spaces around you. And the final one, let's say you have flexibility in case there's delays on completing the house. And that often happens too, whether it's registering properties, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you have to be flexible there. Now, on the other hand, you might be a candidate to buying a resale an existing home, if you find a home that suits your design tastes. So, uh, you know, obviously resale, you're kind of getting what you get, you you know, to the extent you don't want to throw a lot of money at it. Uh, Next one, you don't mind tackling repairs and renovations to keep your home in good condition because that's an ongoing issue with an older home in many cases, Mm -hmm. that resale. Number three, uh, you value greater access to city transportation and amenities and a higher walkability score. So in other words, you know, you might be able to get to a grocery store, a doctor's office, uh, access local merchants, et cetera, very easily, depending on where you are. Uh, Next, you can tolerate being involved in a potential bidding war because the resales uh, are typically less expensive but uh, per square foot, but the prices can be unpredictable. <clears throat> and um, finally, if you, uh, if you want to live in an established tree-lined neighborhood, yeah. right? So a suburb or a new build, often there's very little in terms of uh, vegetation. The trees aren't mature yet and all mm-hmm. of that. And, um, and usually with, a, with a, a, re- a resale, you have a specific move-in date, meaning you know this is the date we're going to yeah. move in. I don't have to worry about the builder couldn't get a tradesperson to finish X, Y, Z. So, and then I think finally, the last thing, just in terms of picking a real estate agent, you know, you should meet with a number of agents, interview them. The rapport is as important as credentials. Uh, Number two, get proof of their credentials. Every realtor must be registered in their provincial board. Number three, talk to recent clients. Were they satisfied with the service, et cetera? And finally, review their current listings. Do they specialize in your neighborhood, price range, and the type of house you're looking for? Mm. All right. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now. Leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And you can check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Com and ask a question there via the listener inquiry button and check out old archive shows. All right, talking about fake news or not fake news, what is it? Well, it's definitely not fake news. You've been news. tweeting something or what's going nah, on? No, nope, no, nope. <laughs> I'm shut off. Okay. Fake news seems to be the big, uh, the, new, the new logo these days. If you listen to Lingo. Donald, yeah. Yeah, south of the border. And it turns out the CBC's was not fake news. When, and it, it turns out that we are all doing it, as quoted by employees at the Canadian five largest banks. Oh, you were talking about this last week. Yes, yes. TD came out and there, a lot of TD employees were complaining about a lot of the issues going on. And I said, I don't think this is a TD issue. I can yeah. tell you because we have we have assistants in our office that have worked at banks mm-hmm. and they were putting under the same scrutiny, the same stress. 
And it was very interesting. So there, I guess within 48 hours, 1,500 emails from other um, you know, ex-bank employees or current bank employees emailed and said, this is what's happening at our bank too. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's not necessarily, is it in the best interest of, of you yeah, in, in yeah. your case? And I'm gonna go through what might make sense and might not make sense in a second, but things such as they're getting a lot of pressure to increase visa limits, mm-hmm. open line of credits, you know, it doesn't matter if it's right for the client at all. They just want to increase your debt. And we've talked about this yeah. in previous shows. Um, increasing debt could be um, okay. In fact, I had one bank employee say, well, it doesn't matter if we increase the debt on your line of credit. You don't have to use it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, they just want the check in the box that they can get their bonus. Um, it's And it's not a promotion. They're actually, um, one person was actually said, you're not going to get a promotion. In fact, you might actually lose your job. Hmm. if you don't sell more. Mm-hmm. So they're getting a ton of anxiety. How are the banks going to react to this? Well, right now, they're all saying, oh, no, we only do the best things in our clients. Well, this is the good part about it is CBC Go Public, it's yeah. called, is getting a lot of these. And they will eventually, the government will put a you know an independent mm-hmm. person on this and check this out. Uh, and where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Okay, yeah. when there's... And when this they, is nothing new. I no. mean, people have known about this for, oh, a, for a while. It's... And it's amazing the amount of trust people have in the banks. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the lowest level, they're really pushing product. And particularly what I'm worried about my, is, is the um, elderly mm-hmm. person going in. Because they're the ones not doing the, perhaps they're not doing the online banking. Yeah, They're going to see the bank teller yeah. and they're just uh, showing up. Yeah. So, you know, there is some good things. Um, but, yeah, I was just going through, um, you know, the one that I thought was interesting was there's higher interest rates in certain mortgages or line of credits. Mm -hmm. And if you don't say anything, they'll just charge you the highest rate. Mm -hmm. But if you just say, you know what, I hear I can get a lower rate. Oh yeah, we could do that. Why didn't you offer the lower rate off the start? Like a lot of people believe that's the price and I have to pay it. Unless it actually says a for sale sign on it, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, 25% off. And it's it's hard to believe that in today's they, it's almost, uh, you know, car salesman. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the list. We can do better than that price. Yeah, and you yeah. can do that on all your mortgage rates and quite often on your line of credits. Yeah. And the other one was, you know, new new Canadians having to get package mm. deals. Yeah. Don't know if you, you caught that where they have to no. get a, a savings account, oh, a line yeah. of credit. Yeah. And a, and Bundle a, it all together. Yeah, we've got to get it all. And it's, or you can't be a customer of the yeah, bank. Yeah. And they're kind of bullying them. So it turns out to be a big deal. Um, and it comes to what we've said for a long time is you really should get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you're dealing with a financial planner, regardless where they are, you should have a second opinion to make sure that at least it's about the same. Mm-hmm. If, if you're getting a similar advice, then fine. It looks like the, other, you know, you, the person you're dealing with is doing a good job. But if you're getting radically different advice, this is okay. Maybe we need a third one to break the tie here. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But what, a few of them, overdraft protection, um, this might be an upsell, but it might be worth your while. But, you know, if you got a lot of bills coming in out and you really don't want to see all of a sudden your rent check bounce or a mortgage payment bounce because you might have made an error, it's, you know, it is maybe peace of mind knowing you could fall under by a thousand or two. Um, but you really should pay on a per use basis. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody can make a mistake and it'd be awful to see, uh, you know, the, the bounce checks cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it might make sense, but do it on the per, not rather than the monthly fee. Do it right. on the per use basis. Right. 
Um, the home, home, owner, home owner equity lines of credit, they could be excellent. In fact, we promote them a lot. I think they're a, a very good way to have accessible debt. Um, you can pay off your credit cards. Mm-hmm. You can pay off other debts with it. You should get the lowest rate. You own your house. You own have a lot of equity in your house. Why should you get the same interest rate as somebody just starting out? Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of equity. So use that equity to your advantage. The downside is, is don't think of it as, hey, free money, good, I can yeah. start spending. This yeah. is awesome. Because yeah. what we are finding is people are taking that and having to get a mortgage paid off now. Yeah. Or let's let, or the, or the motivation to increase your limit to a, this huge amount, right? Yeah. 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 And the same thing with credit cards. Uh, you start off with 500, next thing you're at 10,000. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time you go up, you bump your credit card again. And, yeah. and you really should check out to see if your credit card matches your needs. Yeah. Um, if you're a very simple user, you don't travel much, maybe you just need a bare bones. If you do a lot of traveling, you like to go in lounges, and maybe there's some perks that make sense to you. Okay, maybe it's worth paying a couple hundred bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but again, don't just accept it. There's so many different credit cards out there. The ones I would definitely um, not get would be life insurance, disability insurance, and critical illness on your debt at the bank. Right because it's usually inferior protection. We've gone over this, especially the life insurance, actually all of them for that matter. They, you really should just get pure insurance. Yeah. So go to your financial planner and see what the cost is and have it separate from the debt. And credit card insurance, for an example, they will, you have to pay this money every month. And if you do get disabled, they'll pay up to 10% per month off but your credit card interest is 20% a yeah, year. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. It's going to, it barely pays off the minimum, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, don't just let them keep increasing your credit card limits. GICs, um, their, their rates of return, go to ins- a broker to see if there's comparables. And uh, finally, savings accounts. I was recently at a client's house, over $100,000 in their savings account. Yikes. 0% return. Yeah. Okay. We, there's so many different options out there, and we certainly could help you. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And you can also check out their website at Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. See you next week. Thanks, Scott.